You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 16, and can be found on page 558. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, The land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. So our teaching series in this Advent period, Advent being the time where we're waiting for for Christmas, we're waiting for the arrival, the birth of Jesus, is going to be based on the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, Hands up if you've heard this song before few people. If you've been to a Christmas carol service, you might have heard it. Um, uh, let's put the first verse up. Uh, that just gives you a bit of a sense of what sort of uh, song it is. It's quite an old song, so there's some, some old sort of style language in it. Um, but this, this song uh, is not actually kind of a Christmas carol. It's not actually about the birth of Jesus. It's looking forward to the birth of Jesus that's set before them. And so what we're going to do is take a verse of this song each week leading up to Christmas and we're going to investigate it and we're going to get into it in a bit of detail. Now, the song itself is based on an Old Testament book called the Book of Isaiah, which has some descriptions, some names of Jesus. And so each week is going to be a name that's given to Jesus. And in particular, today we're going to focus on the name Emmanuel, which can be spelt with an E or an I, uh, just you know, either way, it's kind of the same thing. Um, so that's what we're going to be focusing on. The na- and the name Emmanuel means God with us. Now, to set the context for this, it would be helpful probably to have a timeline as to where all this is in history. So going back to when the passage that we've just had read by Steph uh, was written is in 740 BC, approximately. Okay, all those dates are usually reasonably approximate. So, very long time ago. Uh, Then you fast forward to 0 AD, which is approximately when Jesus was born. Uh, He lived for about 33 years. He died, he rose again, approximately 33 AD. And then it's been almost 2,000 years uh, to arrive here in our time. Now, the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is set in between the birth of Jesus and Isaiah writing and saying the things that he does in Isaiah chapter 7. It's written from the perspective of God's people looking forward 
to the birth of Jesus. So when we sing it later on, it's worth bearing that in mind that that's the perspective the song is written from. Now, who remembers that windy day last week? Anyone nearly get blown away by that one? It's pretty intense. I was uh, walking down the street with our youngest daughter to pick up our oldest daughter from school and I felt like I had to go into human shield mode, just protect her from all the flying twigs and leaves and it looked like some of the trees might even get uprooted. (laughs) Such was the, the ferocity of the wind. And what we have in the passage today is King Ahaz, uh, the leader of God's nation, and he is described as shaking like a tree in the wind. What's causing him to be shaken like this? What's going on? Well, it's a, polit- it's a political situation that's got him worried. Uh, his nation is surrounded by threats. There is a big military presence uh, that has got, you know, got a big army and they've just been expanding and, and invading other countries and so he's concerned that they're going to be next and that, that that threat's going to come in, they're going to be wiped out by this army. But also there's two other nearby countries that are threatening to, or who are plotting to assassinate King Ahaz. They don't like him, they don't like his decision making and so they want to put in a different king who's going to be uh, much, going to work a lot better with them. And so he's facing assassination on one side and military invasion on another side and it's looking pretty grim. And so his solution is to pick the biggest bully and try not to annoy them. So he goes, you know what? The biggest bully seems to be the military issue. Uh, You know, that could be really bad. So let's just not do anything to annoy them. Let's do everything they want us to do and hopefully they'll leave us alone and they won't invade. So it's very much just hoping and hoping for a good outcome. That's his solution. Into that situation comes Isaiah. Now, I actually saw Isaiah referenced in a Netflix show I was watching earlier this week called Unbelievable. This is a great show if you want to watch it. Uh, Grim, but great, as in it's one of those serious sort of true stories. Um, These two detectives who investigate particularly horrible crimes, and one of them is a Christian. And on uh, usually Christian characters in TV just terrible depictions of Christians, very, like I've never met people like them. But this lady so far has been really good. And on her dashboard in her car, she has these words, here I am, send me. And one of the passengers asks her, where are those words from? What does that mean? And she says, well, they're the words of Isaiah. And then in her words, she says, uh, God shows up looking for someone to be of service, to clean things up a bit. And he says, God says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah's response is, here I am, send me. So this is Isaiah's role. He's a servant of God uh, and he goes where God tells him to go and he brings God's message to where God tells him to take the message. And so in chapter 7, he takes a message to King Ahaz. King, you've got a pretty sticky situation here. It's not looking good. What you need to do is ask God for a sign. Ask him to give you a sense of what you need to do. He says, actually, you can ask for a real big sign. Like, don't hold back on this one. You can ask for a massive one. And the king says, no, I won't be doing that. The excuse he gives for not asking God for a sign even though he is the leader of God's nation and it's his job to represent God in leading his people, is that he doesn't want to put God to the test. Now, 
It can be unhelpful to test God. There will be ways to sort of put God to the test which would be unhelpful or even wrong. But the question is, if you're in great need, are you really putting God to the test if you ask for help? I've actually used this excuse, I don't want to put God to the test, as a reason not to ask God for help in a few situations over my life. I'm not sure if you've ever done that. And I have to be challenged by that and go, actually, was I just making an excuse for not asking uh, and, and not having that sort of interaction with God, not seeing what God might want me to actually do? Anyway, he doesn't ask for a sign, but Isaiah says, well, I'm going to give you one anyway. <laughs> I think the sign would not be as positive. It would have been a lot better if he had have asked for one. But anyway, here's what Isaiah says. Have a look at verse 13. Hear now, you house of David. So he's talking not just to the king, but to the people as well. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? As in, you've been testing my patience, you're very annoying. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And the first part of the sign is quite positive. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Now, as you heard the word, you know, this description of a virgin giving birth, you might have thought, I know who that's about. Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> and yes, those movies are coming out in a couple of weeks. I really hope that they're good. Also, if you're a nerdy Christian, you might have started connecting it with Jesus. Uh, but there's a little bit of a stumbling block there, and that is that you're calling, uh, we call him Jesus, but then the description here is of a baby who's going to be called Emmanuel. So what's the deal, right? Should we, make, should we make that connection? As you read it, if you did connect that with Jesus, should you have done that? Is that a legitimate thing to do with the Bible? Well, Jesus' friend Matthew definitely made that connection. And so if we were to flick forward to his biography, which he wrote about Jesus, which I'm going I'm to put a section of it on the screen for us, we'll see that he very much connects what Isaiah wrote 740 years earlier to the birth of Jesus. This is what he says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, that means they had sex, or before they had sex, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So that traditionally is not the way getting pregnant works, as in doing nothing and getting pregnant. It doesn't <laughs> usually work that way. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. Jesus definitely did that. He definitely saved people from, our, from their sins. Uh, we are included in that. We put our trust in Jesus. Then our sins, our wrongdoing, that, um, the things that we've done that are selfish and out of God's plan uh, are not held against us by God. So he achieved that. But then he gives this little summary. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he directly quotes Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
So even though Jesus' birth certificate wouldn't have said Jesus, even though he wasn't called, sorry, it wasn't called Emmanuel, even though he wasn't called Emmanuel, like I'm called Kirk or you're called your name in the, you know, the day-to-day life, he still was Emmanuel in the sense that his name means God with us and Jesus absolutely was that. Jesus was God come to earth in human form. Jesus was God coming to live amongst us human beings uh, and to experience our life and be with us. He truly was God with us in the most literal sense. And so, yeah, names can be something that we just call people when we want their attention, but names are often, particularly in the ancient world, descriptors. And this descriptor, this descriptive name that um, Isaiah gives us totally fits with Jesus. And so Matthew makes that connection. So that's the first part of the sign. And, I mean, that seems pretty good. Miraculous birth, God coming to be with us, great. Uh, but the second part of the sign is not so good. If you were to read through in verse 15, 16 and 17, do a bit of research on what that means. Uh, It basically says, God is going to be with us, but you're going to have to wait. And before that, there's going to be a whole lot of suffering. It's not going to be a good time for God's people. It's going to be a bad time. There's going to be plenty of lows before we have the high of God coming to be with us. Judgment will come on God's people before God comes to be with us. Now, if you're a sceptical thinker, like me, you might have a few questions about this sort of connection. Because what we're really doing of the timeline is saying that somebody 740 years BC predicted in detail, because there's more passages like this in Isaiah, something that was going to happen over 700 years later. And you could go, come on, wouldn't there be ways to fake that? You know, how about just writing something, backdating it, and then, you know, a few coffee stains, rough it up a little bit, pull it out of someone's attic. Hey, look, this was written 200 years ago, and it's about something that happened yesterday. Or do that in reverse. Find some ancient text that lots of people know and respect, and then just make something up about the present and say, hey, oh, yeah, my mate Jesus, yeah, his mum was full virgin when she got pregnant, therefore... That's a prophecy fulfilled, eh? Amazing, you know, and sort of add credibility to your story. Or maybe Matthew just made a mistake. Maybe Isaiah was being metaphorical and Matthew just accidentally applied that passage to what he's talking about. There's all these possibilities, right? And if you're thinking about that and you're asking those questions as I've been going through my talk today, that's cool. That's great. It's good to think critically about these sort of things. I guess as long as you're prepared to do a bit of research and run it down and not just sort of sit back and throw stones from a distance. So if we were to do all the work, which we don't have time to go through in tonight's talk, uh, you would actually find that you could answer a lot of those conspiracy theories. And those three examples I gave don't really work with the evidence that we have um, historically. But here's the thing about historical evidence. As much as there is heaps of historical evidence to support the reliability of the Bible, there's loads, there's way more than you probably think there is, it can't prove all the miracles actually happened. Actually, we can't really prove that any of the miracles definitely happened. And then all these links, you know, across hundreds of years between the different books of the Bible, we can't prove that they're all legit either. Not 100%. We can't disprove them, but we can't prove them. And so we're left with this situation with the Bible. It's like, well, it's a collection of ancient texts. It's reasonably reliable, but it claims these miraculous things. What do we do about that? Now, in Christianity, what we do is we don't just believe that the Bible is a collection of ancient texts, though we definitely do believe that. 
We also believe that it was inspired by God. So the Bible was written by real people uh, in their own style, in their own language, uh, in their own time and in their own context. But we also believe that God inspired them to write what they wrote. Put, Put more simply, what God did with this book or this collection of writings is made sure that everything we need to have a good relationship with God is in here. There's nothing missing. There's no essential pieces missing. And what we also believe is that nothing that's going to completely derail us and trick us into going down the wrong path was allowed to be included by God. That's sort of a simple way of thinking about Scripture being inspired. Now, what that means, though, is that believing that the Bible is true and believing in those miracles is a trust exercise. There is an element of faith that goes into believing in the words that we're reading. Can't get around that. Some people will tell you that it's a blind leap of faith, you know, that like believing that the Bible's true is like jumping into a dark hole that you can't see the bottom of. Uh, It's not like that, but it is an educated step of faith. You can do a bunch of research to really see how reliable the texts are, but at some point you're going to have to trust that God is who he says he is, that he is all-powerful, and that he's sorted this book out enough that we can have a good relationship with him. From my personal point of view, this is probably the hardest thing about being a Christian. I find it personally pretty easy to believe God exists. It's not much of a challenge for me, actually. I don't even find it particularly hard to believe that God might be good because I see a whole lot of good things and if God created all these good things, I can kind of get on the board that he might be good. But to believe that he inspired this stuff to be written down and that that's what I'm going to... I'm going to follow, I'm going to shape my life around the writings in the Bible. Um, That's a big challenge. And I do actually believe we need God's help with that. That if you're struggling to trust in God's word, you should ask God for help. Because that's been the key for me, is Him helping me to believe. Um, Here's the thing, though if you are able to make that step of faith, which I have and many of you have, Christmas takes on a whole new depth and meaning. It's no longer about this sort of one-off celebration of this magical birth that happened once because it's now grounded in thousands of years of human history. And actually, when we see that the Bible has been inspired and that God's been working with his people over centuries and centuries, we can actually see the foundations that he was laying before Jesus arrived. And we can see what happened after Jesus was born and all that that achieved and all his death and resurrection achieved. I'm going the wrong way for my timeline before. Sorry about that. Heading in this direction. And we can see what God's still up to today. When we can trust in God's word, it comes alive and it all fits together in amazing ways and it can add so much depth to something like Christmas. We can also relate to what God's people go through and the challenging times that they face. Um, In the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and that first verse, uh, which is back up here, you can see those words. Here's how they're described. They're captive, they're in mourning, they're lonely, they're in exile. And as much as our situation is not exactly the same as theirs, you can probably relate at some point in your life to at least one of these ideas. You know, captive. Maybe you haven't been locked up. Uh, You're not locked up at the moment. Congratulations, you're here. But what about being captive to an addiction? You know, there's a substance or a habit that you can't kick that has control over you, 
in a way that negatively influences your life, that restricts your freedom. Or maybe you have debt, and as much as you wish that debt would go away, the bank is still sending you reminders to pay it. What about mourning? Many people here will be mourning the loss of a loved one this year. Or maybe not, maybe no one's died that you know of this year, but you're mourning the missed opportunity. You know, a hope or a dream you had for your life that looks like it's not going to happen. Loneliness? Well, despite being the most connected society in the world uh, that the world's ever seen, you know, globally, we can connect with more people more easily than ever before. Loneliness is on the rise in Australia. We seem to have lost the art of just being in good community, even in our own families, let alone in the local neighbourhood. And exile. Exile is an interesting one. There are people at our church who are, in a way, exiled from their family. Um, they've become a Christian and they've been rejected in their own family. They're not welcome there because of their faith or because their family is just at that dysfunctional point um, that they just can't seem to, to deal with the broken relationships. It's just not a safe place to be. It's not, um, it's not home anymore. As I said, not exactly the same as what the people were about to go through in Isaiah chapter 7, but we can connect with these real people who had real experiences throughout history. Now, if we go back to the timeline, though, you might go, hang on. Jesus has been born, right? So that was going to be the, the end of all the suffering and so on. That's going to be, well, that was going to be the end of all the problems. So why do we still have these feelings now? Why are we still feeling mourning and loneliness and these things now after Jesus came? What's the deal there? Well, often the, way, what, the reason we ask this question is often to do with a bit of a misunderstanding with the way God works. Sometimes we think that God works a bit like uh, the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek. In particular, it's transporter or it's teleporter, right? So you might be familiar with this. You're down on the, uh, the, the crew's down on the planet. They're surrounded by danger. There's some sort of calamity or enemy that's attacking them or whatever. And they just get on their space phones and they talk to the ship up in orbit and they say, you need to beam us up. And whoo, the, the transporters sort of spin around and whoosh, they're out of there. And sometimes we think... God, can you just be like that? Can you either get me out of the tough situation that I'm in or remove the people who are annoying me and creating this tough situation? Can you just sort of transport me out of this situation? That is not the way God works and he never said he did. It's much more like Jesus is parachuting in to join us in the tough situation. It's not that the tough situation is going to go away, but that we have God with us, Emmanuel. is going to be with us there as we face those challenges. That's the way God has always worked, uh, and that is definitely the way that he worked through the birth of Jesus. In our life group this week, we were sort of discussing this sort of thing, actually, and, we, and there was a bit of advice that we got which was really helpful, which is when you're facing challenge and suffering in life, it's tempting to ask, why God? Why? Why is this happening? And mostly God doesn't answer that prayer actually or takes a very long time to answer it. But if you ask, where are you in this God? People tend to find you get a much faster answer and the answer is that I am with you. And certainly the coming of Jesus and his resurrection points to all that. We also have another bonus here in our current part of the timeline and that is that 
whilst Jesus is no longer getting around in his body, we can't shake hands with him or go and hear him speak at a conference, what we do have is the spirit that Jesus sent into the world, um, sometimes referred to as the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. Don't disconnect the spirit from Jesus. They are just profoundly connected and linked. The spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so everyone who puts their faith in Jesus has his spirit living in them, literally God with us, and ready to be there when we ask, where are you in this God? Ready to answer that sort of prayer. I want to invite our band to come up now. And we are going to sing the song, O Come, o Come Emmanuel. Before that, I want to pray for us. particularly want to pray for you if you are in a tough spot, if you are experiencing the challenging parts of life at the moment. I'm just going to pray that God would be with us. Well, thank you that he ha- thanking him that he has been with us through Jesus and continues to be through the spirit of Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to be with us in that profound way, to be one of us. Thank you for the way that changed the world. It happened almost 2,000 years ago, but it continues to change the world today. Thank you for sending us your spirit so that we can experience you being with us. And I just pray now that you would fill us each with your spirit and I pray a special request, Lord, that you would be filling those who are facing a hard time at the moment. People who feel like they're in exile or they're in mourning, it's just life's tough at the moment. We pray, come Holy Spirit, Feel us and be with each of us, Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you have any questions about this podcast, send us an email, questions at stjohnsdc.org.au. 